For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So on uh, December 5th, just a little over a month ago, or I guess right about a month ago, uh, two Vietnamese brothers set a new world record uh, for the fastest time to descend and ascend 10 stairs while balancing another person on the head while blindfolded. <laughs> so here, there should be a picture of it here in just a minute. Uh, I share that with you in case you're still trying to think about a New Year's resolution goal for yourself. That's the bar. So, yeah, there it is. It's pretty, uh, there's a two-minute video of it on the uh, Guinness World Record website. It's pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, We love seeing people push the limit, don't we? I mean, that's why we watch the Olympics, see people swim as fast as pretty much any human being on the planet could swim, jump, shoot with precision, whatever it might be. But no matter how much we push our limits, we still have limits. There are heights higher than we can jump. There are depths deeper than we can dive. There are concepts more complex than we can understand. We have limitations. Our brains and our bodies don't allow us to do everything that could be done or know everything that could be known. And these limitations apply physically in athletics and sports, Uh, They apply uh, in science and knowledge and the way we think. But they also apply in terms of our spirituality. In our relationship with God, we uh, don't or can't know God because of our own limitations, at least who he is in his fullness. Another way of saying it is there are things about God that we cannot know on our own. And it's the response to this limitation that I want to talk about this morning. So when we stand at the ledge of human capability to know or comprehend God on its own, which is a small ledge, by the way, what do we do with the unknown? Uh, Another way to phrase it is, when it comes to God, how do we know the unknowable? Well, given that this is the first uh, first day in our week of prayer, you probably know the answer. Pray! Right? In fact, actually, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to lay out the main point of the sermon right at the beginning so you get it, and then we'll just talk through the passage together. Prayer is how we know the unknowable love of God. Prayer is the key that opens that door. There are things about God that you and I cannot know on our own, but if God chooses to make them known to us, well, that's a different story. 
So what we're going to look at this morning is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for a group of believers to know God's love, his unknowable love, which might sound a little bit weird, but hopefully you'll see it as we go through the passage. It's the same passage that Gail just read for us. So if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone, open it to Ephesians chapter 3. It will also be in the handout uh, on the worship folder. And it would be a good idea for you to have that in front of you because I'm just going to refer back to it uh, several times. And I'm just going to kind of jump back into it. So it would be good for you just to have it sitting there. We're going to start in verse 16, which is where the prayer itself actually begins. And uh, one helpful way that this passage has been laid out, not by me, but by someone else, this is how I'm going to preach through it, is as a, a staircase with four steps, with each subsequent item he's praying building on the one previous. So the first step in verse 16 is that God would give strength and power so that Christ would dwell in us. So here he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches. So I'll pause there and just talk about that phrase, glorious riches. The, the word riches itself shows up five times in Ephesians and two other times it shows up with an adjective or, or something that describes it. And so in 2 verse 7, they're called the incomparable riches of his grace. And in chapter 3 verse 8, they're called the unsearchable riches of Christ. So by the time you read this, if you've been tracking with Paul, he has told you that God's riches are incomparable, unsearchable, and glorious. The point is that God has deep spiritual pockets. Now sure, he's got material wealth as well, but his wealth goes far beyond coins or fancy rocks or fancy paper. He has not just a different quantity than any of us have, but his wealth is also of a different quality. They are unsearchable. They are incomparable. They are glorious. And this is encouraging to us when we come to pray because what that means is that we're not asking God who's kind of like strapped for cash for something he doesn't have. He gives out of a glorious abundance that you can't search or compare. He gives out of a glorious wealth and the more he gives, he doesn't seem to have any less. And so he can give and give and he is wildly generous to give what we need. And Paul sees a need. He sees that these Ephesians need power. But not just any power. Notice what he says. He says power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's not praying for physical brute strength like we'd be a bunch of bodybuilder Arnold Schwarzenegger types. You know, we come to Sunday morning with our weights. He's praying for a glorious inner strength. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The spiritual power is needed so that we would have faith. Because faith is what makes a heart habitable for Christ. That's where he lives. He lives where faith is. And it seems to be, according to this passage and other parts of the Bible, that you need, that we need, a God-given strength to have that kind of heart, to have that kind of faith, to believe what God says about who we are, about who Jesus is, we need the power of God to believe that Jesus himself is sufficient to forgive all, and I mean all, past, present, and future of our sins. 
to look on the completed and finished work of Christ and to trust that because we by default want to turn it around and make it about us. And so we need the power of God to help us get our eyes off of ourselves and back on to him. And so he's praying strength and power to that end. So the next time you're praying for your spouse or your kids or yourself or this church, pray for spiritual strength, that we would be people of faith. So step one, spiritual power so that Christ would dwell in us. Step two, that we would be rooted and established in love, having power with all the saints. So this phrase, rooted and established, he's, he's, got, he's kind of mixing two metaphors here. He's talking about roots of a plant, and uh, the word established or grounded there is like a, um, like a term for a foundation of a house. But really, they both teach the same basic concept. A healthy tree needs good roots. A strong building needs a sturdy foundation. And without the roots or without the foundation, the entire plant or building suffers, right? And he's saying that, all of your Christian life flows out of this foundational knowledge or experience of love, of God's love for you in Christ and our love for one another. He's praying that we would be building on the right foundation, that we'd be planted in the right soil, not any notion of self-help, of I can be good enough, of humanism, but in the gospel of God's grace. Now, I want to point out something here that's kind of interesting. He's praying that we'd be rooted and established in love, and then in the very next verses, he prays that we would have power to grasp the dimensions of God's love and to know his love. So do you see what he's just done there? I pray that you would be rooted and established in love and yet have power to grow in the very thing in which you're rooted in. Another way of phrasing it is that it seems that the love of God can be something that we both know and not know at the same time. That we're continually growing in our knowledge and experience of God's love. And that's, we're going to talk a lot more about the, the vastness of God's love in the next step. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Uh, but let that be an encouragement to you. That where you start is not the same place as where you finish. Now, in addition to praying that we'd be rooted and established in love, he prays again that we would have power. And then here's the phrase I want to focus on. He has power together with all the saints. Now, if the word saints weirds you out because you don't feel like that's you, don't worry. The word literally just means holy people. Well, if the word holy people kind of weirds you out because you don't feel like that's you, (laughs) don't worry. Because if you are a believer in Christ, you are a holy person. You are a saint in the biblical sense. Sainthood, it's not a merit badge that you attain after a certain number of miracles or something. When you believe in Jesus, you are as holy in in God's eyes as Jesus himself. Now sure, we've all got work to do. We all have sins we need to repent of. We all have a process of growth or sanctification to go through. But when it comes to our standing before God or what you might call justification, we are as holy as Jesus himself. And so if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. And so when he says that you would have power together with all the saints, it's not that you would have power together with all the Mother Teresas of the world. 
is that you would have power together with every other believer in Jesus. And we would have power to grasp God's love. Now what this means is that we need each other. The kind of power, the kind of love that Paul is praying about here cannot be experienced or attained by any single individual. I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. God has designed the Christian life like one giant three-legged race. We either run together or not at all. We need one another. We need meaningful relationships with one another. This is why we push small groups, not just that we would have a percentage of the membership in small groups, that we can brag about that. We don't, um, this is why we encourage you to go to the second hour classes and learn more about the Bible and also build relationships with others in the church. This is why we strongly encourage each and every one of you to invite others into your home and practice hospitality and enjoy a meal with them because we need meaningful relationships with one another. And apart from those, your knowledge of God's love will certainly be stunted. We have to. I've said this, uh, I mentioned small groups, so if, uh, if you're not in one, and you would like to be, just write small group on your connect card with your contact information, and we'll do the best we can to get you connected. But the point is that we need one another. He's praying for a group of people to know God's love. So step two is to be rooted and established in that love, to have power together with the saints. And then step three, to grasp the love of God. Now, he actually doesn't say that quite at first. What he says at first is that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep. He's not saying at first knowing the love itself, but just the dimensions of it, that we would get it, that we would understand how massive and enormous the love of God is. As I was preparing and studying and kind of meditating on this passage, I, I was convicted because this confronts the way that I and maybe several of us or many of us in this room think about God's love. How many have heard the phrase, God loves you, or Jesus loves you? And it's just very easy to brush that off because you've heard it a lot, because it's, I don't know, it just kind of sounds a little kindergarten-y. Um, it sounds cheap or superficial or shallow. We, we just don't understand what we're dealing with when we talk about God's love. It is a far more powerful, meaningful, complex thing than we tend to give it credit for. We tend to think about it like, you know, when Miss America wishes for the end of world hunger. She says that because she has to. So you read, God loves you. You hear that God loves you. Well, of course, he does. But we don't actually, it doesn't sink in that God has a personal and powerful love for each and every one of you. Psalm 36 says that his love reaches to the heavens, his faithfulness to the skies. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Reaches to the skies, endures forever. It's wide, it's high, it's long, it's deep. In Romans, there's no power on heaven or in hell that can separate us from this love. It is vast. It is enormous. 
There is no one in this room who has plumbed the depths, who has exhausted the knowledge of the love of God. In fact, that's what he says in verse 19, is that this love surpasses knowledge. He's praying that, he would, that you would know love that surpasses knowledge, that you would literally know the unknowable. You would know what cannot be known. There are limits to our knowledge and Paul is praying that God would push those limits and so that we would see his love and that we would know his love in an incredible way. Now, maybe this is obvious, but I, I want to state it just so there's no misunderstanding. The knowledge here that he's saying that you would know his love, it's not an intellectual textbook kind of knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge that you would know, you would be convinced of God's love. And the good news is that that goes far beyond what any person in this room has ever experienced. And the reason that's good news is because if there's anyone in this room right now who believes the lie that God cannot or does not love you, that is false. That is not true. His love goes far beyond what you are capable to outrun. So if you feel like uh, he can't, you're wrong. You are gloriously wrong. Or maybe you have been following Christ and yet you haven't you know, gone off and been wild or anything, but it feels like maybe you've been a little bit spiritually cold and dry and, and it sort of feels old hat. The good news is there is more of God's love to be had no matter how many decades you've been walking with him. And it's not, well, maybe it is the same old hat, but it's a big hat, okay? There's, there's a lot of it. More than you'll be able to experience in a hundred lifetimes. And so if you are a person who's been walking away or has been holding God at arm's length because for some reason you feel like he's limited in his ability to love you or you've kind of, you know, been there, done that, then I would just encourage you back to the fountain to the fountain of God's love. And if you've never experienced it at all, then you are gloriously welcomed to that love. Now, it almost feels, it almost feels like we could just end here and just continue to talk about how great and big his love is. It feels like the prayer version of a Mount Everest. But, uh, but Paul goes on. Step one was spiritual power. Step two is being rooted in love with power together to grasp the love of God. And then we get to the fourth and final step, which is being filled to the measure with the fullness of God. Or what I'm just simply calling filled full. Now, (laughs) I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible and you're just like, that's a weird phrase. Like, no one uses that. Like, the, the... that reminds me of a Thanksgiving dinner, but it doesn't remind me of anything like super spiritual. Or, it just sounds weird. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? And, and the only way I can kind of think to explain it is I, I was trying to think, is, do I know of the Bible describing anyone else who had the fullness of God in him or her? Any guesses? Jesus, yes. If you're going to guess, guess Jesus. Okay, Yeah. Colossians, which is like the sister letter to Ephesians, says in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse nineteen, that the fullness of God was dwelling in Christ. So the idea seems to be 
that as we know God's love in this powerful and intimate way, we become like a cup filled to the brim with water. We become filled to the brim with the character or essence or nature of God, not so that we become like a demi-god or a god ourselves or anything like that, but that we become like Christ himself. And isn't this where the prayer started? That Christ would dwell in us and then we'd be filled full of the fullness of God and so that our life begins to take on more and more the nature of John the Baptist who said, he must become greater, I must become less. And so that at one day we will be able to say from the bottom of our heart with no reservation, no hesitation, no hypocrisy, all I have is Christ and that is more than enough and we'll be filled to the fullness of God. Now think about what Paul's praying here for a moment. He is praying that God would give us himself. Not a thing, but himself. This is, this is the very essence of Christianity, which is not, not just the forgiveness of sins as glorious as that is, not just the death of my old, sinful, selfish self as much as that death is needed, but a new life in Christ where my, my whole being is found in him. Everything I have is found in him. And again, all I have is Christ and that is more than enough that we would be in God and God in us. That's exactly what Jesus prays in John 17, that we would be one with him and the Father. Again, not that we become God or any version thereof, but that we become who we were originally meant to be, image bearers, reflectors of God. Holy cow. What a prayer. It it makes me feel like my prayers pale in comparison. One commentator writes, no prayer that has ever been framed has uttered a bolder request. He's saying this guy went big or he went home. He shot high. Spiritual power, the dwelling of Christ in us, rooted and grounded in love, power with the saints, grasping the dimensions of God's love, even knowing that love that surpasses knowledge that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Whoa. And the humbling thing is that none of us can do this on our own. We may be able to balance people on our heads Swim fast, jump high, discover new planets, but we can't do this. No matter how much we try on our own strength. And just let me remind you what Paul is doing here. He's praying. He's not encouraging or admonishing the Ephesians to study philosophy, to get a good night's sleep so that the next morning your brain will be alert so that you could get it. He's not encouraging them to sharpen their minds because the very nature of God and therefore God's love is far beyond what any human mind or soul, no matter how well trained or helped, can experience on its own. And so he prays that God would do what only God can do. Because God is able to do more than we imagine, right? In verse 20, oh wait, no, it's much more than we imagine. Well, that's not verse 20. So as it says that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask 
or imagine. Other translations uh, say he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond. He is able to do uh, far more abundantly is what the ESV says. Okay, if I were to translate a Bible that was like idiomatic, I would translate this. He is super duper 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 able to do what we can only barely attempt. All of these things are things that cannot be done on our own, that a, that a Bible study in and of itself cannot do. The Spirit of God has to be working. And so back to the question at the beginning. When it comes to God, how do we know the unknowable? Prayer. Prayer is how we know the unknowable love of God. Prayer is how we get spiritual power. It's how we become people of faith. It's how Christ dwells in us. Prayer is how we grasp, however finitely, the infinite love of God. Prayer is how we become who we were meant to be. Prayer is how we know God himself. So as we enter this week of prayer, um, I want to encourage you with four tips from this passage. Four ways that as you uh, hopefully are coming to some of these prayer meetings and in your own daily prayer experience or habits, maybe you can incorporate these and we could learn from Paul a few things. Uh, Number one, worship. Worship, because if you know anything about the love of God, if you have a desire to know the Lord, then it seems to be that you are the an- that is the answer to somebody's prayer. That God has been gracious to you to share with you his love. That you would know it. And so we have nothing to say but Lord, thank you and I want more. Second thing, pray big. Pray big. Remember, his riches are glorious and comparable and unsearchable. Remember that he is able to do immeasurably more, super duper able. (laughs) Far too many of us, myself included, we limit God in our prayers. I don't know if you've ever prayed or, or thought something like, or prayed really without faith, pray for that person, even though you and I both know, Lord, that's not gonna happen. Or I've got this situation that I'm dealing with. And and this would be the ideal outcome. But I'll pray here instead because I know that that's, come on, that's not gonna happen. That's unrealistic. Let me encourage you. He is able to do far more than you could ask or imagine. So this ideal that you're imagining, he's able to do better. We have not because we ask not. Pray for miracles in the spiritual lives of those around you and in yourself. And if you're worried, I don't know about you, but sometimes you're like, well, what if I pray that and like, you know, all the, this sets off this weird chain reaction or what if that's not really the right thing? Hey, God's sovereign, okay? He's not handing you a loaded gun and you're not gonna hurt somebody if you pray too big. It's not possible. He will answer in the way that he sees fit. Pray big for those around you. Number three, copy Paul. I, I mentioned earlier that sometimes this, you know, meditating on some of his prayers make me feel like mine pale in comparison. Um, I don't want to discourage you at all from praying for um, what might feel like mundane things or 
non-spiritual things, pray for those. Pray for your physical needs. Pray for things that are seemingly insignificant. Pray for parking spots. Pray about everything, okay? But also, pray for big stuff. Pray for what Paul prays for. When was the last time that you prayed that someone would have spiritual strength to grasp the love of God? Most of the time for me, Lord, help my kids get to sleep. Lord, keep us safe. Thanks for the food. Good prayers. Don't stop those. But add some weight. Bring in the priorities of Paul into your prayers. One thing I I might encourage you to do if you're looking for a, a, a way to grow in your prayer life, go through as you're reading through the New Testament, highlight Um, prayers, like do it color-coded. So I've got in purple on my Bible every time someone prays in the New Testament. And then I periodically will just look for a purple and just pray. And so do something like that. Pray scripture. Now again, don't worry, continue praying for the mundane, like prayers that pale kind of things. But pray big too. Pray um, for weighty and meaningful things. Fourth, Pray for those who do not know the love of the Father. There are those who um, are rooted and established in something different than God's love. Whatever it may be, they are not rooted in the love of God. They're rooted in something else. Pray that God would change that. That God would grant them power through his spirit in their inner being that, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. They can't teach it to themselves. We ultimately can't convince them of it, though we are, have an obligation to share the good news of the gospel. God has to break through. They have to embrace it. And so pray. The, one of the best things you can do is pray for someone who doesn't know the Lord. Now, um, I just want to mention one more thing and then I'll close in prayer. Um, One thing I was just encouraged by in this passage is that oftentimes we, myself included, associate prayer or think about prayer as something really just to to get from God what we need. And I don't want to discourage that. We are encouraged from the Bible to do that. There's nothing sinful about asking. But there is an aspect of prayer where we don't come to God to get something from him, but just for him. And so... I just want to encourage you as we we talk about trying to grow in prayer and grow in in this week of prayer. Ultimately, what I'm asking is that we would, as a congregation, draw closer to him, that we would be getting from him himself. And and we will, as as this week goes on and in these different uh, meetings that we're having, we'll pray for things, for sure. But ultimately, we also want to be praying for himself. Prayer, it's not just a... uh, when I worked um, as a custodian while I was in college, we had to call them CSRs, custodial supply request. So I'm out of this cleaner and please order it. There's an aspect of prayer that's that. But prayer is not just a custodial reply or supply request. We're just asking for something from God. Do that. But it's a letter. It's a love letter. Whatever you want to call it. It's a relational thing too. I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going, to, um, I'm going to pray a little bit longer than I usually do. Usually at the end of sermons, they're, they're relatively quick. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pray long, so here's your warning, okay? 
Um, there's, there's nothing unspiritual about keeping your eyes open. I'm going to pray through this passage. And so if you want, you can just be reading the passage as I'm praying through it, okay? Heavenly Father, first off, you are our Father, as verse 14 says. You are uh, the one from whom every family on earth derives its name. There are, there are no gods that are worthy of our prayers. You alone are our Father in Christ. And Father, we thank you for this rich passage. And I, I know that I haven't done it justice, and ultimately I can't. Um, and so I just want to do what Paul did. I want to ask for Philida Bible Church, the same thing that Paul asked for the Ephesians. And so God, would you please, out of your glorious riches, out of your wealth, would you please give us power by your Holy Spirit that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Lord, make us people of faith. Because many of us, myself included, we harbor unbelief in our hearts and we need your help, God. Help us overcome our unbelief. Help us with our doubts. Teach us your truth, Lord. We desire to be people who believe you, who trust in your promises, who trust in the finished work of Jesus. Give us that kind of faith. And Lord, I ask that you would root us and establish us in love, that we would not put our roots down in human philosophies or faulty foundations, but you would root us in the gospel of your love, that you would give us power together with all of your people as a church and with every believer around the world to give us power to grasp the enormity of your love. Lord, I confess that I, and I think many in this room, too often we've seen your love as a trifling and petty thing. Lord, show us how big your love is, how massive and powerful. Help us to know this love that surpasses knowledge Lord, push our limits that we would be filled with your fullness. Show us what that means. Make us the kind of people who are like Christ in whom your fullness dwells. Make us men and women of prayer constantly coming before you with these kinds of requests and many more. And Lord, as we enter this week of prayer, would you please encourage and strengthen each one of us. Teach us to pray. And we ask all of this with with a humble confidence God, that you are listening, that you hear us, that you care, and that you will answer as you see fit because of Jesus Christ. And it is in his holy name that we pray. Amen.